to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So we got some exciting news from across the pond recently when John McDonald, who is the shadow chancellor of the Labour Party in the UK, said that he wants to launch basic income pilots if and when the Labour Party comes into power. So we were curious to delve into what's actually happening here, what are the larger political ramifications, where is basic income going in the UK these days? And so I had a chance to speak with Jamie Cook. He's the head of RSA Scotland, who's previously come on the podcast to talk about what's happening specifically in Scotland, but came on to tell us about what's going on over in the UK. So here's Jim's conversation with Jamie Cook. All right, Jamie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back on. So I know there's been some talk in the news about some seemingly pretty exciting developments with how the Labour Party in the UK is viewing universal basic income and some potential for actual real movement on the policy. Can you just share what's happening there? What what are the developments? Sure. Well, I think on that, in the UK, we've obviously seen a lot of interest to date from, particularly in Scotland, um, from several different kind of political backgrounds, including the Scottish government, uh, and also some interest developing within Wales. But uh, up until now, on a UK-wide level, uh, we hadn't seen that same level of, of buy-in. And I think what's been particularly interesting is that John McDonnell, who's the shadow chancellor from the Labour Party, commissioned Guy Standing, obviously a a leading figure within the basic income movement, to publish a piece of work for him that started to explore what the idea of uh, basic income pilots and experiments might look like uh, within a UK context. Uh, And that was published uh, in early May, uh, actually at the RSA, at our our headquarters in London. Uh, And I think really start to push forward the debate around whether uh, a change in government in the UK, so if the Labour Party were to come to power, that they might start to support um, taking forward some experiments uh, across the UK. And I think particularly from their perspective, looking at opportunities to support uh, cities in the north of England who might be interested in being test cases. So the two uh, leading lights, if you like, have been Liverpool and Sheffield, who've put a lot of work and and expressed, uh, in both cases, formal um, support from their local councils for running experiments. Uh, But also, I think it really changes the dynamic around some of the barriers that we might face for potential basic income experiments, for example, here in Scotland, where, as it stands, the control of Social Security sits with the UK, government primarily rather than than with the Scottish government. We only have about 15% of social security budget uh, devolved to Scotland. Uh, And so therefore, actually, currently we have huge barriers to taking things forward because of that that lack of control. Potentially, if you had a more open UK government, then there's a, a strong space to be able to develop some of those experiments. So that seems like a really important point. I'm curious, given these developments and given that that seems like it could create a lot of momentum broadly. Are there what what other things are in the works or are people starting to explore? So I think that, as I say, the first thing has been the the work that's taking place in specific places. Um, So the experience we've had here in Scotland and the work we've been doing since about 2016 has been that the, the success and the momentum has been driven by local areas, both uh, local government, but also civic society. And I think that's helped to allow it to not get bogged down in party politics and in, in national politics, but actually be seen as expressions of local uh, activity and, and priorities. And I think we're starting to see some of that develop in, in England as well. So as I mentioned, uh, Liverpool City Council 
Uh, Councillor Anne O'Byrne there led a motion which was passed uh, that the City Council would like to run experiments within the city if that became an option. Uh, in Sheffield, there's a UBI lab was set up, which now has a counterpart in, in Liverpool as well. So people like Simon Duffy have been leading uh, a lot of discussion and exploration already there. And actually recently, their city council also passed a motion uh, in favour. So I think you're starting to see in those local levels a, a similar connection between civic society and local politics that's really driving uh, the, the interest. I think it, it adds a really interesting national dynamic, partly, as I say, because it changes some of the barriers. So the United Kingdom government is uh, still committed to universal credit as a system of social security. Um, now, people may have seen that that's been coming in for huge amounts of, of critique and attack, uh, particularly Philip Alston, uh, the UN spe Special Rapporteur on Poverty, whose uh, report into universal credit and, and other systems in the UK is one of the most damning reports uh, I've ever read and highly recommend to all listeners to, to check out. Um, but that has still been a barrier when the government is committed to that policy. Now, within Labour itself, as a political party, there is still a split between different parts of the party as to whether they support the idea of a base kingdom or not. Um, I think we still have a, a pushback from certain elements of the party, both actually the kind of further left of the party, but also the centre left, who, uh, who perhaps are more interested in ideas such as universal basic services or uh, job guarantee schemes. But what you see with someone like John McDonnell, who is one of the most powerful figures, uh, it really starts to push it up the, the political agenda, particularly given that his uh, goal with it, and I think the intention is very much to uh, commit a future Labour manifesto to include support for experimentation within one of their manifesto pledges, which would be a huge opportunity to really get some of that on the ground work uh, developing and moving forward. So I'm, I'm curious beyond just where elected leaders are at and, and what's moving politically, is there, with these new developments, does it feel like the broader conversation across the country has shifted at all? Are, are more people aware of universal basic income? Is there, are there different perspectives that are emerging now than have been the case in the past? I think it's starting to develop on a public level, but I think particularly within um, England, where perhaps the conversation is slightly newer, um, it needs further work to really develop that. I mean, I was very struck. So at the RSA, we published a report, a basic income for Scotland uh, in May as well, uh, which very much laid out both ideas around experiments, but actually policy development and how you could implement um, different levels of basic income within Scotland. And that was picked up uh, across the UK and beyond with a lot of interest and, and feedback. So I think it's starting to get into people's um, knowledge, but there's a lot more to be done. I think it's fair to say just now in the UK, um, you, you may or may not have noticed that we have this small issue of Brexit that's slightly overtaking every conversation. And I think, unfortunately, that adds a, a huge degree of, of uncertainty to, to everything that we're looking at. Although I think one of the things I've been very struck by is that you would imagine in a, a time of such great uh, chaos and turbulence, people wouldn't be willing to look at potentially quite radical ideas. If anything, I think it's pushing people to do more of that uh, because the, there's a feeling that the, the system as it stands uh, is struggling. Uh, so actually, I think it's starting to grow a space where people are looking for new ideas and new opportunities and, and basic income fits into to that model. Um, I think, again, because we've seen interest uh, across the UK, so obviously Scotland has been uh, in many ways leading on the discussion up to date, uh, you know, as far as having 
um, quite significant support from the First Minister and the Scottish Government. The new First Minister of Wales uh, is very supportive of the idea of experiments uh, within Wales. And so there's, you know, the beginning of, of ideas exploring it there. We're seeing it across uh, England as well. It starts to develop that um, that broader discussion than it just being an abstract um, policy debate or, or, or kind of uh, academic discussion. So I think that's all starting to help. I think one of the big challenges we've seen um, so far is this kind of strange and I think very false split between some of the different ideas that have been explored. So I mentioned universal basic services, for example. Um, I think it's actually quite disappointing that a lot of the, the discourse, that idea, so instead of giving people income, giving them access to you know bus passes or, or uh, internet access, for example, that that is being kind of put up as an alternative to, to basic income and the two are being put in, in competition with each other rather than being seen as potentially complementary. Um, and I think that's a bit of a shame because it starts to um, to distract from some of the discussion that's taking place. I think we need to find what are the variety of policy ideas that we need to to build upon each other. You know, I've always seen basic income as a foundation stone to a new social contract that you build on top of with other policies. It, it can't operate uh, purely in isolation. Um, I think the other thing that we've had given the, the the disaster that universal credit is, and frankly, that, that is only going to become more so, uh, what we find really interesting is some of the impact on, therefore, terminology. So uh, I, I've always tended to talk about basic income rather than, you know, universal basic income anyway. But um, we found that the very concept, the very word universal has started to pick up connotations because of universal credit. And so I think there's some work to be done around uh, increasing the level of understanding of the different policies that are on the table so that people actually can differentiate that you know, basic income is a very different approach to, for example, uh, universal credit, which has been largely discredited. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it sounds like there's at least a couple different parallels between the political situation there and in the U.S., I think, with Trump here. That, that was also another thing where it seems to have, in some ways, blown the doors off of what sort of policies people are willing to consider in a way that wasn't true before. And also a similar tension between is it basic income or other services rather than could it be or should it be some combination of both. So I'm curious, given where things are at now, with the goal of moving further towards at a good rate towards some sort of uh, universal basic income or unconditional basic income, in the UK, what do you see as the best strategy as far as the coming months? So I think, uh, firstly, it's about ensuring, and we're, we're doing a lot of this already, but it's ensuring um, collaboration between the various places, because I think the, the arguments and the discussions become much stronger when you're talking about Scotland and the North of England uh, and Wales, and then the global discussion and what we can learn from that. So working closely with with folk in the US and Canada and Finland and elsewhere. So I think that, that collaboration is important. There's a lot of really good work that's being done in different places, and the more we can support and interact with each other, uh, the, the better. Um, I think that experimentation still has an important role uh, to play because I think it starts to create a space for us to bring along not just politicians, but also wider society to not feel they have to instantly commit to supporting a policy, but actually can open up first to supporting, exploring the idea further. Uh, and so I think starting to cost out and look at what different types of experiments could could do and what they could offer us is, is useful. Uh, and I think that has to include 
both the kind of larger scale. So originally in Scotland, you know, there's perhaps been discussion of uh, 8,000 people for talking sake across several locations and quite a large scale experiment, but also looking at what could smaller experiments look like, because perhaps running a small experiment in one place wouldn't be uh, massively helpful. But if we could run small experiments in four or five places, they could work together. Uh, quite nicely. I think the other thing is we do need to really start to to build more on, on developing what the actual policies look like as well. Given the, the the different challenges we have ahead of us, so we don't know what's happening with Brexit. Here in Scotland, we may have a second independence referendum. We have elections at some point. They're, they're actually starting to, to look at, well, what would delivery of this policy actually look like in reality starts to allow us to have something tangible to also uh, debate and discuss. So as I say, within the the basic income for Scotland report that we published, we've laid out uh, an interim stage of basic income that we believe could be delivered over one term of the Scottish Parliament and then a longer term uh, aim of basic income, which would take a bit longer to deliver and would cost more. Now, it's in a sense, it's not that those models necessarily have to be fully taken on board or fully disagreed with. What they do give us is, is the ability to start looking at actual ideas of what powers are needed, how you would deliver that, how it interacts with the existing system. And I think that uh, is very helpful to move the, the space from purely being uh, a hypothetical one to one that's actually having very realistic and real world uh, conversations. I think two things are then critical within that. One is ensuring that it doesn't become party political. So it is, it's great to see the interest from John McDonnell. He's a very senior uh, figure. You know, if there was a change of government, he could become uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. This is, you know, it's a huge person to have supporting this. But it's not a Labour Party policy that we're talking about. It's a policy that goes far wider than any one political party. And I think that's important so we don't get split into to partisan camps. Uh, I think the other thing is that uh, making sure we have um, actual people involved as much as possible so that this doesn't just become... Uh, a conversation between academics, think tanks and and politicians. How do we harness communities to actually take part in this, to shape the policy and actually feed back on what may or may not work, what kind of language uh, can bring people with them? And I think creating that kind of coalition of, of interested people, I think, uh, can create a very powerful space. So I would like to see, we did some of this in, in Fife, uh, north of Edinburgh in Scotland recently, and it was an incredibly uh, humbling experience, to be honest, uh, in terms of the, the stories and experiences that the participants were sharing with us uh, of their own involvement with the benefit system or, or with the changing nature of work or with disability and, and caring. Um, and I think the more that we can start to capture some of those uh, stories, much in the same way that, you know, Jess Golem has done with the, the uh, People of Basic, Humans Basic Income uh, campaign up in Ontario and Canada, I think that creates a very powerful uh, campaign tool and, and um, tool for uh, engaging decision makers that shows this is something that can have a very powerful and, and real world impact. Yeah, that, that certainly seems like an important piece that unfortunately often gets overlooked. We, we tend to get caught up in, in the headspace and societal trends and sometimes forget how important it is to actually see, see what that real life impact is is for people on the ground. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things I find really interesting um, in terms of that discussion, for example, here in Scotland, but I was down in Wales recently and we had a fantastic event down there where, where similar things came up, is I find that a lot of policy making just now is quite abstract so it's it's not involving people in their day-to-day -day lives but also uh, we tend to want people to give us quite quick reactions to are you in favor or against something and actually when we're talking about 
big, complex, new ideas, then people need time to play with them, to think about the impacts, to challenge, to, to you know, allow them to evolve a bit in their heads. And I think it's been really telling that with, with a lot of the work around basic income in Scotland, giving people space to actually say, look, we don't need a, an answer from you just now. What we want to do is talk to you about what this could mean, what could be the benefits, what could be the challenges. You know, we're not trying to sell you something. Uh, has, has been very powerful. Because again, in Scotland, certainly, and I think in a lot of the other areas we've we've touched on in the UK, we're starting from quite a positive space a lot of the times. People are, are quite interested and open to what uh, a basic income might be able to offer them. But they do also have challenges around it. And actually, it would be very easy to hear someone say, well, you know, my concern around a basic income uh, is that, you know, the guy I know who lives down the street from me is going to spend it all on, on alcohol. Uh, if we finished the conversation at that point, we would miss out on huge opportunities. I find with most people who who we have that conversation with, giving them a bit of time to play with the idea, they soon come back saying, well, yeah, maybe he would, but I also know these five other people who would do something very different with it as well. What are the kind of additional services and supports that might make it as, as constructively impactful as possible? And I think that's been really uh, exciting because certainly here in, in the UK, that's felt very different to most other approaches to policy making that we've seen recently, which have tended to say to either be very abstract or to be quite drilled down to kind of binary choices and, and quite quick responses expected towards them. Well, Jamie, those were all the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think it's a really exciting time. Um, I think that the the interest in the buy-in from, uh, from John McDonald is certainly very welcome. I think There'll be some really exciting things to look into in terms of, of Wales and, to say, the, the north of England. I think certainly it would be really interesting to keep the discussion going uh, and how to involve some of the, the partners there. So, the, you know, the UBI lab and others, because I think those on the ground experiences will be fascinating because we may find that some of the challenges are very different in the different communities. And obviously some of the others will, will translate quite successfully. So uh, I think there's a really interesting space here. And I think the more we can keep this as a very connected global discussion, uh, the better, because I think that really will allow us to to learn and to support each other and try and take some of this forward. That was Jim Pugh and Jamie Cook on the Basic Income Podcast. I found it interesting that they have a similar discussion there where there's sort of this idea of competing universals, where it's universal basic income or something else, and it's hard to imagine both two big things happening at the same time, and so people feel like these ideas are in competition. Yeah, I was really struck by how many parallels it seems like there are there to the conversation in the United States. Because, yeah, I mean, constantly it seems like UBI is being pitted against a job guarantee or providing people with more direct services as opposed to cash. Whereas there really isn't any reason why these things couldn't be complementary other than limitations to our own imagination as to what's politically feasible. And so... Yeah, I mean, that definitely, it seems to be some very similar dynamics going on. But also, I think the public reaction to Brexit versus Trump being elected here, I mean, not just with basic income, I think people have made a number of comparisons between these situations as an internal nationalist group having a significant impact on where things are at politically in the country. But I think as far as something that seemed impossible to so many people happening, and that really opened the doors on what people could imagine as being possible or should be considered as far as what are real political solutions to the problems that we face. 
Yeah, I, I think you've got these parallel situations where there the economic situation seems to call for something big. And basic income, I, I don't want to brand it as the solution to all the problems, but it is, I'd say, a big part of the solution to a lot of what got Trump elected and a lot of what, what caused Brexit and all the, the tumult there. And now on the in the Labor Party there and you know the Democrats here, there's a lot of discussion with, okay, so we, we don't want what's in power. We want to replace what's in power, but with what? You know, we're not just saying go back to how things were. So what are we going toward? And you know, in both cases, basic income is part of that conversation. One thing that I think some people might see as another parallel, but I'm I'm actually less sure of, is the point Jamie made about wanting to make sure that basic income does not become a partisan idea, that he was excited about the endorsement from John McDonnell and the Labor Party, but wanted to make sure it wasn't just a Labor Party policy. And I think you see a parallel here with a lot of people thinking that basic income can have cross-partisan or non-partisan support and wanting to avoid it, it becoming something that's just supported by one party. I'm not sold that that's necessarily a complete parallel because I think the UK, despite Brexit and despite the challenges they face, my sense is they still have a relatively functioning multi-party system, whereas I think in the States, that's kind of not the case anymore. We, we don't have, we have two parties that don't work together, period, effectively. And so I think that uh, it's not clear to me that the right play is to try to make this a bipartisan thing in the current climate. Maybe that could change in the future, but... When he mentioned that, it, it, it occurred to me that, that that may not be quite as much of a similarity as, as some might take it to be. Yeah, that stuck out to me as well. I feel like as this gets closer to actually happening, the idea of it being a bipartisan thing is going to get trickier and trickier. I could see some sort of coalition that similar to cannabis legalization and um, and gay marriage, where it's largely a left issue, but libertarians are either also for the issue or at least open to the idea, and it has something of a neutralizing force on the other side. Um, but the idea that this will be, you know, left-right locking hands and going forward is, I think, unrealistic in the U.S. And I, I guess one more point that I'll make is it, it's it's encouraging and interesting, I think, that experiments seem to be kind of the the next step in the basic income movement worldwide. We've got some here in the U.S. It sounds like there's just the idea that momentum for basic income means, like, okay, now let's do some experiments. Let's, let's fund some trials. And, um, you know, it's not how every movement goes. And so, but I think this is just so new that people need to see it in the flesh before they trust it a little bit more. Yeah, I thought that was a really important point that Jamie made. And we did an entire episode on this a few months back. But I think a lot of times when you say experiment, people view it simply as a way of collecting data about impact of the policy. And if that's your perspective, I think sometimes more experiments may feel not like a big step forward because we do have a lot of data already. And what new data we get from randomized experiments may not increase that substantially. But if you take a broader view as to, as you say, this is showing momentum, this is familiarizing the public with the idea of basic income, 
and generally building political buy-in around the entire policy, suddenly that's great, that there's a clear reason why more experiments is, is showing real progress. Yeah, I've been struck by how Stockton has quickly become this reference point that you just get like, oh, you know, Andrew Yang's talking about it and Stockton's already doing it. And I think people don't tend to know the details of the Stockton experiment when they reference it. But it's just one point of familiarity. We're like, oh, yeah, there's this one place in California that's doing it. No one in Alaska has been doing it for three decades. And um, yeah, the, the more of these that become public and talked about, just the more normal it starts to feel. The one other thing that really stood out to me from the discussion was Jamie's point about making this a human policy. And we talked about this many times in the past, but I, I think it it bears repeating so much discussion around policy and not just basic income is very much in the abstract. It's talking about large economic or societal trends and what difference a policy might make to those. And oftentimes people never actually drill down to even think about what does this mean for a person who's living their life in whatever sort of situation. And I think at the end of the day, first, that's what matters. Like, right. what is this doing for Yo, people? Why are we doing this at all? Second, that's actually what typically is going to be your most convincing argument. If you can tell that story of how someone's life will substantially be better when you introduce this policy, that's what's going to win people over. It's not macroeconomic trends. It's how does this actually help me and the people around me? And so I think this is a point that just needs to be hammered again and again. Policy needs to be about people if we're actually going to win this. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please rate us and review us on the podcast service of your choice. And tell your friends. We're always looking to bring more people into this conversation. Also, we will be taking a short break for the summer. Uh, so we'll be releasing some of our, our most popular episodes in that time and be back soon with more episodes. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.